There's no place in the world like Rodeo Drive. I'm Pari Eason, your host. And I'm your field correspondent, Jason E.C. Wright. Welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. When it comes to interests, chances are, if you love fashion, you probably also love cars. So I think for me, that's the message that is portrayed on my social media. Yeah, I race and yeah, I enjoy that, but I also can have the full face of makeup and do my hair and look glamorous because that's what I like to do too. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. That is the IndyCar racing driver and social media influencer, Lindsay Brewer. She dishes with me on beating the boys on the track, staying glam while doing so, and her new clothing line. That's coming up. And the reason we're focusing on cars is because it's June. And every June on Father's Day, people in the finest cars turn out for the Odeo Drive Concorde d'Elegance. Here is the founder. My name is Bruce Meyer, and I'm the proud organizer chairman, last man standing of a group that was established in 1993 to restore the famous Beverly Hills fire truck, Aaron's Fox fire truck. And a group of us got together and decided we were going to do a car show to benefit the restoration of this famous fire truck, which will be leading the parade this year on Rodeo Drive. So this year is going to be, without a doubt, our best show ever. Since it's always a blast, it's hard to know how they'll top themselves this year. We will lead the parade with Rolls-Royce cars, which is our sponsor this year. And we will have an extraordinary display of Rolls-Royces, supercars, antique cars, and fun-loving and car-loving people. So it's an amazing day in store, June 19th. Line the streets of Beverly Drive. Come enjoy the car show on Rodeo Drive and enjoy the entire Beverly Hills experience. And we'll see you there. Exclamation point. Well, thank you, Bruce. That sounds very fun. Right, Jason? It certainly does. And this goes on all day from 9.30 a.m. And thousands of people show up and line the streets of Beverly Hills, especially Beverly Drive, to view the parade and then check out the cars when they park on Rodeo Drive. The people spotting is quite amazing as well. And I think you got to meet one of the key people connected to Concord. That's right, Perry. I got to meet up with Scott Prescott. Now, Scott runs a business called AutoVault, which is basically a storage and restoration service for some of the finest cars in the world. And in a true James Bond style, is buried three stories underground, right underneath Rodeo Drive. We are located in the bowels of Beverly Hills, right in the center of downtown Beverly Hills. We have been here for over 40 years, collecting and storing and taking care of our clients' automobiles. And there beneath the street, we find the classiest garage with padded walls, filled with gorgeous cars hidden under their covers. Scott toured me around and told me how AutoVault came into being. It all started when he was a kid with a dream. From the beginning, when I was a kid, um, I'd always been obsessed with cars, fascinated by cars. I grew up in the, in the woods, literally, of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would, I would uh, read all the magazines and periodicals that you'd find for, for automobiles. I actually built the little plastic Ravel models that we oh, built at the yes. time and paint them exactly the way I wanted the cars. Um, and I used to sit in, um, like, like I would say, in about 10 feet of snow outside, 15 below zero. And I used to dream about coming to California. And once I graduated from high school, I, I didn't, didn't go to college, mm-hmm. didn't go to any business school. I just knew I wanted to come out here and do something car-related. I got in my car. I drove out here. I arrived here with $70. 
and I started the whole concept of what I wanted to do when I started washing cars. I bought some equipment. I, I wanted to become the king of car washing. Mm. This, what you see today, is an evolution of just pursuing my customers' wants and needs. Just like McDonald's with, with shops all around the United yeah. States, I wanted to have car washes all around the United States. But if you would have told me 40 years ago that <laughs> this is what we would be doing today, I wouldn't have believed you. And that kid that was in New Hampshire in all of the snow, dreaming about the sunny skies of California with no snow in sight unless you go to the mountains. You were big on American muscle cars, like looking at the Corvettes and the Mustangs and those things as that was the ideal car for that time. You have some Corvettes here. You want to talk a little bit about some of the things you have? Uh, yeah. When, g- growing, up in New, growing up in New England on the East Coast, the East Coast was very heavy into American muscle cars. Um, West Coast is more European. Mm-hmm. Uh, East Coast is very, very m- steeped in muscle cars and all the different kinds of cars at that time. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, I considered that was kind of the sweet spot of automobiles. I grew up right in the dead middle of all that. Right. And all the specialty, that's when cars were handmade. That's when cars had personality. You know, today they're all made by a computer. Um, these cars in those days, you could work on themselves. You could actually modify them and, and, and you know, wrench on those cars and get it the way you wanted to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, back in East, the, the, the epitome of success was you drove a Cadillac, a Lincoln, or a Corvette. Mm-hmm. You know, here it's out in the West Coast is a little different. So what we have here today is we have one of the, the very first model Corvette. Corvette came out in 1953. Right. This is a 1955. <laughs> I feel like a kid in a candy store. Watching the veil be pulled off of it, the car covers off of it, and it is this beautiful tomato red color. There's still the grills on the lights. If you've ever seen pictures of this 55 Corvette, it really gives you this feeling of all of the films that you would have looked at during the late 50s, early 60s. Definitely Bobby Soxer culture, 100%. It has the white walled wheels. It is such a moment that I'm having with this car myself right now. And I hope that this is translating through audio because you feel the history of this car. You can feel the way that it was maintained, but also there's a bit of love that I can tell that you've put into preserving, restoring and making sure that the car is clean, detailed and ready. Like you care for it as if it's your own, even though this belongs to someone else. Yes. Yes. You know, our, our business model is kind of a little unique than other companies and other businesses. And AutoVault uh, business description is our clients literally give us millions of dollars worth of their personal property. They entrust us with it, and then they pay us to take care of it for them. Mm-hmm. So that kind of model, I really don't know any other business that does that kind of thing. Um, so we participate actively in the whole process of the car experience with our, with our clients. Right. So... So they're able to enjoy the cars, take them out. When the car comes back, there's something wrong with it. We fix it for them, and they're ready for the next week to drive the car. And like it looks like someone is just left it here and is ready to come back. You have the mesh back driving gloves that are just sitting perfectly disheveled on the desk like somebody just took them off. The engine is beautifully restored in detail. Like, this is a show-ready car with a Corvette ball cap in the passenger seat. Like, this is this is the epitome of the Sunday driver. This is the yeah. car that you lusted after, that you dreamed of, that you worked towards getting. Yeah. And you get the opportunity to steward it while the owner is doing all of the other things that make their life make this make sense. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this owner of this 1955 Corvette is 70-plus years old. This car came out 
when he was in high school and this car was something that he always wanted mm-hmm. when he was a kid but never could afford it. And now he's grown up, he pursued it. It took, him, it took us, I mean, I looked to, it took us three years to find this car, this particular car like this that he wanted to buy. And yeah. uh, he, he, paid, he paid whatever it had to do to get the car. There's a long history between Hollywood and cars, Rodeo Drive and Hollywood. How have you seen that merging of fashion of celebrity of Rodeo Drive and the car culture around that from the inside of it as the person that is stewarding these uh-huh, private collections. Uh-huh. Well, ho- Hollywood's kind of a, a unique profession where if you're successful, you make a lot of money at it. And part of the automobile world is the fantasy of the cars. And when you have money like that, you can you can buy some pretty crazy looking cars. Mm-hmm. You know, when when people ask me about the the the, the parallels between say Rodeo Drive uh, and, and here, we're literally Rodeo Drive, but we're we're down below. I, I refer to it as the men and their sons come here and play with cars, and their wives and the daughters go upstairs and play in the stores. Interesting. So it's the same kind of idea, but it's with a different a different uh, vehicle, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, so um, I have one one cra- one kind of funny story. Is I have a customer that uh, is from from Europe that actually bought a six hundred thousand dollar car. Didn't tell his wife. Brought it here and stored it here. It stayed here for two months until he figured out a way to tell his wife that he bought this car. <laughs> so they flew in from Europe. He took her upstairs. They went to Harry Winston. He bought some bought some rocks and ice at Harry Winston, and came downstairs here and showed her the car that he bought a couple months ago. That's hilarious. That is that that is a um, a very expensive way of buttering someone up to <laughs> <laughs> to approve a purchase. That's amazing. Do you have female? clients that store their cars here that have expressed an interest in collecting cars and things of that nature and how has that played out over the years that you've seen um yes we do we we do have um uh, women old and young um we have a, a pretty amazing story of a 1934 rolls royce around the corner um it's owned by a woman she's over she's 80 years old um the, the rolls royce itself is not very important it's not very worth anything monetarily mm-hmm. but his, her grandfather bought it new in 1934 Wow. They're a wealthy family in Switzerland. They bought the car from England, had it transported to Switzerland. In their family, their family assigns people to take care of the car, this car. This car is a family member. And she has been assigned when she was younger to be take care of this car. So the car lives here. She lives in California. The car lives here. We have some other women, um, that uh, some celebrities that actually um, drove a car out here when they were starting out in the music business or they'd be an actress, and they drove the car out here, and that car now is in storage as an iconic remember of the beginnings of when they started. Right. And um, uh, there's some other women that, you know, this was the first car that they got when they, when they became a lawyer. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the first car they got out of the divorce settlement. Something that has some kind of mm-hmm. emotional attachment to the cars, which can justify storing the car here. Totally makes sense. You're listening to Scott Prescott, founder of AutoVault, a car storage and restoration business hidden underneath Rodeo Drive. It's an incredible business founded by a guy who got a start offering a custom car detailing service, which he then took to the Rodeo collection. After touring the cars, we sat down in AutoVault's lounge, which has to be seen to be believed. I mean, it has wood paneled walls, there's an actual chandelier, a beautiful blue suede sofa, and it feels like I'm inside one of the boutiques upstairs on the street. It totally matches the lifestyle of those people that would be interested in having their cars secured here. Scott told me more of his story. I had to find a location 
I started looking around Beverly Hills, right. you know, for for a location. And what I did, nobody did. There was no. I was I was like walking through a, a jungle hack on my own trail. So across the street, I pitched to the the, the, the property manager at Rodeo Collection, and he gave me a break. And he said, well, why don't you come on in here? It's going to be X amount of dollars a month. You're going to take this space here, and you can wash your cars and do your thing here. So that's how I got onto Rodeo Drive. When I got there, um, we were washing cars, and that was the only thing we did. And as the time it evolved, we got into storage of cars, and we got and then this restoration happened. Then what happened is I would have people come to me, and we were going to detail a car. But they said, hey, I'm going away for a wedding you know, in, in, on, on the East Coast. I'm going to be gone for a week. I said, can I leave my car here? Can you detail it? Well, one day I was sitting around. Our, our shop was jammed with cars, you know, just sitting around. And that was the idea with, you know, we have to charge for this. we got to charge for cars staying here. Oh, so the idea of storage know. started. Got it. So, and the problem was is I had a detail shop. And at that time, the company was, was known as a detail shop. But what the problem that I had was I started to peddle detail as a storage business. But people wouldn't, at the time, store the $200,000 car at a detail shop. No, mm. no, I don't think I want to do that. Right. So the idea came, the evolution of AutoVault came, where I sat down for many nights thinking about names, words, and trick things, and things that would work and all, because it was going to be an image. All I'm going to do is create a different image. So I created AutoVault, and I incorporated it and all. And then I started advertising as AutoVault, and people didn't seem to have much of a problem anymore storing cars, but yet I'm storing them at the car wash. So it's just a state of mind that changed. So that evolution on Rodeo, at the Rodeo Rodeo Collection, we ran out of space. They didn't have any more space for us. It's a small garage. And we ended up migrating over here, and we built the business down here. Well, you've had an incredible life, and you still have more energy than I do, and I've had coffee. Uh, And it's fantastic to see. You once said that you wanted to be the king of car washing. I think you've exceeded that. So what do you think you are now? I would like to be uh, considered probably maybe a custodian, maybe someone to help uh, clients enjoy their cars to the maximum. Uh, I could be the, uh, uh, the custodian of car storage. You know, wanted to be part of the experience in, in, in having people evolve so that they can enjoy their cars to the, the maximum they can enjoy them with. I look forward to seeing you during the concourse this year, and it's been a joy to be down here and share these stories. I hope that someone hears this and is is equally inspired to follow their dreams the way that you were with yours. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it, too. I love to talk about cars. So that was Scott Prescott, owner and founder of AutoVault. Wow, what an amazing story. And AutoVault is an amazing place. Kind of my idea of heaven. And three stories underneath Rodeo Drive. I knew the car world had some big personality. And Scott is definitely one of them. But what about you, Perry? You got to talk to someone who's making news in cars and fashion. That's right, Jason. I spoke with Lindsay Brewer. She's an indie car racer and an influencer with more than 3 million followers on social media. She's one of the few women in racing, and she's also a businesswoman who is designing her own brand. I spoke with her about what it takes to beat the boys behind the wheel, how she is marketing herself to get sponsorship, and why it's perfectly fine, in fact essential, to bring glamour to the sport. She is from Colorado, and I asked her first what got her into racing. I started racing when I was 11 years old. I went to a go-kart track um, at a birthday party and ended up falling in love with it, but I've always been super competitive, so yeah, I ended up being quicker than the adults and all the boys, and my dad bought me my cart, and it's kind of just started like that. Currently, I'm racing in Indy Pro 2000, which is Road to Indy, um, 
so IndyCar is the top level and I'm two levels mm-hmm. below that. So it's okay. open wheel. So for people who don't know that, it's it, there's like closed wheel and open wheel. So the cockpit of the car is open, kind of like a Formula One car. I see. Congratulations on your Indy Pro 2000 debut. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was super fun. Yeah, we heard that you finished eighth with a best lap time, yeah. only 0.1054 seconds off the winner, Braden Eve's best. Tell us about yes. this important race for you. Yeah, so this race was super important for me because I did make a big jump up to Indy Pro 2000. Like these are some of the best drivers in the country, if not the world, like up and coming drivers. So I knew the competition was going to be super Amazing. tough. Yeah, so these guys, like the competition level is crazy. So for me to be super competitive and in the mix and only a 10th off the leader's fastest time, like in race pace, it was it was definitely a good debut. So you raced in a Tatus IP22 race car. Can you tell yes. us about that car? Yes. So basically it's a carbon fiber chassis, um, open wheel car. So it's two liters, like around 275 horsepower. It is super light. It's probably like 1100 pounds, like without fuel and the the driver. It's so light that the acceleration is crazy and it has a lot of power. So it's super, it's super fun. Um, we have the halo built into it, kind of like the, the F1 car as well. And yeah, it's 108 inch wheelbase. So it's, 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 a pretty good sized car the tires are pretty big we use cooper tires and um yeah they're they're fun cars to drive they have pretty big wings on the front and back Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of downforce which makes it pretty physical for me because there's no power steering lots of downforce you're going so fast through the corners that you really have to be strong to maneuver that car around so that's kind of been my struggle but we're working towards getting stronger for every race can you describe the feeling of a race for us yeah, for sure. Scary. So, it, <laughs> I mean, I always have a bit, a bit of nerves going into the race, like especially mm-hmm. even on the warm up lap. You know, you're warming up your tires, your brakes. Um, everyone's getting just hyped up, and I always have a little bit of butterflies. But as soon as they wave the green flag, I feel like all nervousness like drops, and it's just go time. And you just gotta think. Your mind just goes into almost like fight or flight mode. You just like are so focused on what the task is ahead. You kind of forget mm-hmm. about everything else. So you're able to like channel that energy. Yeah, for sure. Like lots of adrenaline. You completely forget about everything. Like the adrenaline just takes over and you just have like the task to complete and just try to do your best. But definitely a lot of fun though when you're out there and you're making some good passes and it's battling. Like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what kind of training regimen do you follow to prepare for the racing season and how has that impacted your life and routine? I'm sure like just getting beauty sleep isn't enough. Like, no. <laughs> how do you balance that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's this year's such a big step up physically. So I, I have a new personal trainer that I have nearby and he's been helping me with my strength training because my endurance isn't the problem. It's again, just like my arm strength um, compared to all the guys. So um, yeah, so I just build up the muscle. I also um, work on, I do my simulator. I have a racing simulator at my house. So I'll go on that and practice. If I have like a track I've never been to, I'll go on that and like drive it a bunch of times, a bunch of laps. Oh, that's fascinating. So you can actually Mm -hmm. kind of start to envision the, the track, track. And, mm-hmm. yes exactly and how do you balance the training with like your for example your social media commitments when I wasn't racing in college I had to take a break I didn't think I mentioned that but I took a break for four years um 
to get my degree in business because I wasn't able to find sponsorship and, you know, my parents really wanted me to get a degree and I was happy about that. But I kind of positioned myself more as a social media influencer. Uh It was great, but I felt like people didn't really see the actual side of me as race car drivers. So now I, I focus more on just my training and um, racing and I try to get content and doing those things instead of just going out and trying to take photos with outfits and like I, I do enjoy fashion so I love designing my suits and kind of creating my content around that as well like my first suit was like a chevron rainbow vibe kind of like aviator nation vibe so is that is the suit designed around like the sponsor that you're working with yeah so this this current sponsor my title is uh, mastermind and their colors are blue so i designed like the suit with um the company sparko we designed like what it looks like and all the lines and stuff like that and yeah so is that like I kind a of performance to... wear company? Like a... Yeah, Sparco is like the suit I use. Um, it's a company of performance wear for racing. Uh-huh. And they, yeah, they do all my, my race gear, which is nice. And um, I try to take inspiration from like 80s ski suits, like fashion like that. Oh, I can really see that fun. for you. That's yeah. A, that aesthetic is nice for you. Yeah. Um, and then is that, just out of curiosity, is that suit fireproof too? Yes, that's like basically why you, it has to be fireproof. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so let's discuss social media um, a yeah. bit. Sharp self-image and presentation is inherently a part of the sport of race car driving, and you've taken that to a very high level. You were recently described as the 24-year-old auto racing driver and content creator with over 3 million followers on social media. How are the two connected? I think they're connected just because, you know, with racing it's so hard to find sponsorship and it's all about like when you're a driver you yourself are a product for mm-hmm. the the brands and it's kind of crazy that it's that way like you yourself you're almost like a billboard to represent your sponsors and you have to represent them correctly and i think social media plays a big role for me because you're able to promote your your sponsors and you're able to add that value to them So for me, I always like to um, integrate it because I also love just showing everyone like what I'm doing and connecting with my fans. And I think they enjoy seeing my journey from going from just social media influencer who was out of a seat in racing and finally building back up to where I am now and and watching my journey. And yeah, I I mean, just from looking at your social media and like some of the videos that you've done, it all seems very second nature for you. Mm-hmm. Do you manage your brand yourself and how much time relative to racing do you spend on it? I do my own social media. I do have a photographer and videographer that help me create the content, uh-huh. but I do manage it all myself. I do my own posting, you know, everything like that. And it's pretty second nature because I do enjoy doing social media I think it's a lot of fun and sometimes it does get tricky though like when I'm at the race or at the track and I'm trying to like either take photos or film content and stuff like that but I also have to be serious and really focus on what I'm doing at the track so that sometimes can get in the way and it gets a little tricky there because I do need to focus like on my data my video like trying to get better in the lap and be you know focused at the tracks your images on instagram are are very put together with no real images (laughs) of you looking disheveled after a race but that can be (laughs) sexy too no why not show the more real side of racing 
Honestly, I, I do think I should show a little bit more of the raw, authentic me, sweaty after a race. Um, I just think my photographer doesn't really take a lot of photos during that. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I think that we take a lot of photos, like I said, before we go out, before I like have to focus on driving. But that is a great recommendation. I should show more authentic, like, after the race photos and I think that's something I should incorporate more of so I will I'll be doing that at my next race keep your eye out for that sweaty photo after <laughs> we will we'll be watching for it so you're one of the few women in car racing what would you say mm-hmm. to others who'd like to try I would say just go for it you know I think it's intimidating in any business that's male or industry that's male dominated I think it's just obviously there's gonna be that bit of you know you just don't really know if you want to get into that and you're kind of nervous about it. But I definitely think that you should just go for it. And I personally have tried to set up initiatives to help younger women get into racing. Like I, I'll hold female, tra- all female track days um, once every few months to get all the girls together and try to provide them more track time. And there's a bit of roadblocks in the way, you know, being in open wheel, especially being less physically inept to drive the cars, but you can, Mm -hmm. if you want it bad enough, you can make it work and and train and work hard. And what message does your highly curated glamorous brand image send to other (laughs) women? Do you think? I mean, I think in, in racing, like I think women are put into a box and I think like you, if you're a female racer, you can't be like glamorous and and sexy too. Like a lot of the times I've, I've talked to other women in racing and I've asked them advice, you know, going when I was growing up and a certain woman told me, she was like, if you want to be taken seriously in racing, you need to stop posting photos at the beach in like a bikini. You need to stop like posting stuff like that. You need to be a serious racer. And, you know, I appreciate her saying that, but at the same time, like if you're a true feminist, you should be allowed to be fun and sexy and be yourself and uh, love fashion. You're not, I don't want to just be put into a box as just a race car driver I want to also be able to be myself and be feminine and girly and sexy if I want to be that. So I think for me, that's kind of, I guess, a message that is portrayed on my social media. Yeah, I race and yeah, I enjoy that. But I also can have a full face of makeup and do my hair and look glamorous because that's what I like to do too. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if the self-presentation is like, gives you confidence and gives you strength going into whatever it is that you do, why can't that? go straight into race car driving. Yeah, exactly. My dad would always say, Lindsay, this isn't a fashion show. This is the racetrack. And I'm like, okay, but I, <laughs> I want to look good and feel You're like, good well, maybe too, it so is. <laughs> maybe it is a fashion show and the racetrack. <laughs> Do you feel as a woman that you have skills for this sport that a man does not have and vice versa? Or is it, is it an equal playing ground? I mean, I think it would be naive to say that men and women are completely equal because we're not like biologically, you know, we're, we're just not equal. And I think the men obviously have a physical advantage. You know, racing is one of the only sports where we can compete against each other and it's doable. Like it's not like basketball or any other football, any other sport where you pretty much can't compete against a man on a physical playing field. Right. Um, but so they do have the physical advantage for sure. Uh, but I do think women have a an advantage when it comes to keeping calm in the car, keeping collected. You know, I find that women 
tend to finish more races than men. Like men will make that super aggressive move and then crash a lot of the times, you know, sometimes they'll make it, you know, sometimes they'll make the move stick when they need to like a super aggressive pass or this and that. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm not aggressive and women aren't aggressive because I I definitely am. And I know a lot of women who are, but I think in general, women are a bit more level headed and they're able to think more clearly and they're able to finish the race more often than not you know (laughs) are you an automobile enthusiast as well as a racer and if so what is your favorite car i am so i don't claim to be an automotive expert but i do enjoy supercars um my dream cars are mclaren p1 or a la ferrari i just think they're amazing but i currently have an audi r8 that convertible which i I absolutely love oh nice yeah so i definitely do enjoy cars So on Rodeo Drive, we're excited about the upcoming Rodeo Drive Concord Elegance, Beverly Hills Father's Day car show. Yeah. 40,000 or so spectators are anticipated. Why do you think this type of presentation and tour of the finest and most exotic automobiles in the world is such a draw on Rodeo Drive? I think it's such a draw because like like we've talked about, I think fashion and, and cars really do coincide and it's all about lifestyle and everyone you know, it's this luxury lifestyle and people love to dress up and have nice fashion and and they do nice cars. And I think it all plays into this sort of lifestyle that everyone either has wants or, you know, wants to achieve. Yeah, it's almost like this total image. Yes, exactly. Do you have any role models combining image and sport? I do think Lewis Hamilton does a great job where he is such a phenomenal race car driver, you know, seven time world champion. He's such a great driver, but he also has his own personality and he's into fashion and he's able to step away from the track and do other things outside of it. Like when he attended the Met Gala and when he, you know, designs his own fashion lines or he's in the studio, you know, singing and doing all types of music. And I think like, that's a really great example of, you know, you're not just a race car driver, you're, you know, who you are, and you have other interests outside of it, you can like, combine those into like, one image, I guess. So what's next? How can we follow you on your journey? And will we be able to keep up with you? Yeah, I guess what's next is I'm actually coming out with my own clothing line. It's more merchandise, but I I don't like to say merch because it's not, it's not quite it's a little bit more elevated than that. And it's going to be like automotive related, you know, and I'm super excited to launch that. Uh, Obviously, have some races coming up, I'm going to be driving at Road America. And then I'm going to be driving in Montreal um, for support race of the F1 race. So I'm super excited for that. Perfect. And then are you allowed to reveal any more about your fashion or your merchandise? Yeah, it's going to just be t shirts, sweatshirts, sweatpants, like, we're going to stick to stuff like that first and then see how that goes. And then I'd like maybe later on to get more into cut and sew stuff like that. Jackets, race car jackets that are tailored. It's going to be uh, unisex, you know, because I okay. think racing plays such a big part into fashion, especially nowadays with like all, you know, the collections coming out that are inspired by racing and obviously race car jackets, shoes that Puma's done, like stuff like that. I think it really plays a big role into fashion. So I'm excited to like incorporate my design, not only from my race suits, but now into actual fashion. Yeah, well, thank you so much thank you. for speaking with us. I feel like I learned a lot today <laughs> yeah. about the sport and about more about you too. So I appreciate you sharing and being so open and candid with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you again for having me. That was Lindsay Brewer. I'm Parry Eason. And I'm Jason E.C. Wright. 
Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills. To Rodeo Drive, the Heyman Family, Beverly Wilshire, Four Seasons Hotel, the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau, and MCM. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton with editing and videography by Hans Fjolstad. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Grace Fu is the production assistant. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts join us on instagram at rodeo drive see See you on on the the street. street